Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. As we adapt in this season of pandemic, we are meeting in our house churches in person and online as a primary space for worship, formation, connection, and encouragement. Teachings like this are one way we engage with scripture seeking to become more like Christ. These teaching podcasts also serve as a conversation starter for deeper engagement at House Church. We're glad you're listening. Today, we're continuing our journey towards the center of the Beatitudes. Like Doug explained last gathering, we're looking at the Beatitudes uh, in this series as a chiasm. And uh, if you're not familiar, a chiasm is a literary structure that uses parallel ideas or phrases to draw attention to the main point which is placed in the center. And so today, we're going to be in the, the second level of the chiasm. So the second pair of Beatitudes we're looking at today is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, and blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So in our 7 a.m. Zoom prayer calls, the prayer that we pray after reading the scripture is, may these words of God bring to each of us conviction, challenge, and comfort as our lives and choices this day require. And I can't think of two scriptures that can bring us as much challenge and comfort in this time as these. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, I don't like to mourn. Um, I'm not really in the place in my life yet where I've had a lot of practice. um, But I do know that even though it may be unhealthy, I would much rather sweep those kinds of things under the rug and not deal with them. Uh, But I'm confronted by the fact that Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn. And if we simply look around, we see that there's much to mourn. There's the loss of a loved one, the loss of a dream or an opportunity, the loss of a home, the loss of our health, broken relationships, addiction. When I was in youth group, we often sang this song called Hosanna. And if you're familiar with it, it has a line that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. And while I'm convinced that our God is the God of joy and restoration and life, I look around at the world and I think that he must also be a God who always has a broken heart. Racism, poverty, abortion, climate change, violence, war, there's much to mourn. And when Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, I don't think he was talking about a small group of people or an unlucky few. I believe that he was really talking to all of us. A Bible teacher once said that as a rabbi, Jesus wouldn't be talking about teaching about anything that he couldn't point to. So, for example, when he says, consider the lilies of the field, I think that it's possible that he picked one up and he twirled it in his fingers as he said that. And so, in the same way, I believe that when he said, blessed are those who mourn, he looked right at those who, with downcast faces and tears in their eyes, were with him. And he said, you are blessed. I'm going to say that again. I believe that he looks at us. And he looks at us who have downcast faces and tears in our eyes. And he says, you are blessed. And I believe that as followers of Jesus, walking in the way of the kingdom, we're called to do the same. We're called to find those who are mourning and to go to them and say, you are blessed. And I believe that when we walk in the way of the kingdom, we'll both find ourselves mourning and among the mourners. But the good news for us today is that, like the psalmist says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He delivers those who are discouraged. And I think about how the reason that the mourners are called blessed is because, as Dallas Willard says in The Divine Conspiracy, 
the kingdom among us has just reached out and touched them with Jesus' heart and voice and hands. And people knew that. Uh, people didn't just, uh, Jesus didn't just go to the people who mourned. He also attracted those who mourned. I mean, look at the people who sought him out. Uh, there's fathers mourning the death or the disability of their children. A woman mourning her lost health, her lost community, her lost dreams. Mary and Martha mourning the illness and the death of their brother. There was something about Jesus and the kingdom that he embodied that drew those who mourned to him because they knew that with him they would find comfort. Could the same be said about us? So as many of you know, we started having these monthly community dinners a few years ago. And many of you have attended. Many of you helped us serve. Many of you have had the chance to come and talk with the people who come. And we believe that this is a tangible way that we can walk in the way of the kingdom. But looking at the people who, who frequent our, our dinners, I can't help but notice that many of our regulars are people who mourn. We have people who are down on their luck, people who have lost jobs, people who can't find work, people who have strained relationships, people who uh, have received terrible diagnoses, people who've been taken advantage of. We have people who from whom it seems like life has taken everything, and people to whom the world says you have nothing to offer. And I want to tell you about one of these people. Uh, one, of the, one of these people was a woman named Carmen. When we met her, she was literally weeping at one of our dinners. She was going through a family emergency at the time, and while we were able to help her out with some resources in the moment, the O'Donnells and I exchanged phone numbers with her, and that was the beginning of a relationship where we were often just able to listen and to bear witness to the things that she was mourning over. Difficulty in some close relationships, situations where it seemed like she was being taken advantage of, and eventually a cancer diagnosis. And just a few weeks ago, a call from her brother uh, telling us that she had passed away. Sometimes we were able to help, uh, but most of the time there was nothing that we could do. However, she kept calling us, and sometimes it was almost daily, uh, just to tell us what was going on. And one of the things that I learned in this relationship was my inadequacy to make things right most of the time. And I think that there's something important there. I think that uh, often to mourn is to acknowledge that we don't have all the answers. Uh, but part of the good news of the kingdom is that that's exactly where Jesus meets us. Sometimes all that we're called to do is to be present to the pain. And sometimes in the brokenness of the world or the loss of a friend, sometimes that leaves us speechless. And like Job's friends, sometimes it's better not to speak just because our words could only make things worse. But in their book, uh, Romans Disarmed, theologians Sylvia Kiesmott and Brian Walsh say this. They say, In the face of suffering, pain, brokenness, and labor pains of creation, in the face of being rendered utterly wordless, followers of Jesus don't grasp for cheap words or easy comfort, but they get busy in the paths of redemption. We get busy with the purposes to which we've been called. Those who love God are those who embrace their calling to tend to creation, who have a vision for life in the face of death, and who claim redemption even against the evidence. In Paul's worldview, those who love God are renewed in the image of God, and they live with an aching longing for the kingdom, and they suffer with Christ. God works for good with those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So whether we're planting a community garden or seeking a reduction in fossil fuel extraction, sponsoring a refugee family, or seeking deeper reconciliation with the First Nations, building community, 
or holding vigil at the side of the dying, sharing our own resources or advocating for economic redistribution. In these and so many other ways, we are working with God to bring all things together for good in the face of unspeakable evil. We may be speechless, but we are not paralyzed. We may have nothing to say, but that doesn't mean we have nothing to do. I want to say that last part again. We may be speechless, but we are not paralyzed. We may have nothing to say, but that doesn't mean we have nothing to do. In other words, we're called to make peace. And if we're following Jesus into the world, we'll find ourselves among those who are mourning, and amidst the brokenness, it will only be natural to follow Jesus' lead in making peace. Now, this brings us to the second of our Beatitudes that we're looking at today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And the Greek word in this verse is the verse that they've used to translate the Hebrew word shalom, which is more than just about resolving conflict. It encompasses this much bigger idea of bringing wholeness. It's more than just, it's more than just maintaining the status quo. Peacemaking is about building something positive that wasn't there before. But much like mourning is acknowledging that we don't have all the answers, Making peace in the way of Jesus isn't about coming in and deciding we know what's best to fix the situation and imposing our will. That's the kind of thing that empires throughout history or even people in our own lives have tried to do, and that often just creates more of the brokenness that we're mourning in the first place. That's not the way of Jesus. In Colossians, we read that Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross. And so what does that mean? I think that means that he made peace not through force or coercion or manipulation, but through love and through self-sacrifice that cost him his life. He didn't make peace at someone else's expense or with someone else's blood, but rather with his own. So there's something that can feel heroic or romantic about dying for something that you believe in, just as there can be something romantic about someone saying that you were a peacemaker. But Real peacemaking is anything but romantic and anything, anything but, uh, but rosy. Look at Jesus on the cross. Crucifixion was meant to be shameful. It wasn't just giving up your life, but it was doing so painfully and publicly and shamefully exposed. Peacemaking in the way of Jesus means to risk our comfort, our dignity, our reputations, our bodies, our very lives to bring healing, reconciliation, and hope. Now, there's an image that I think illustrates this well that should be coming up on the screen here. So this uh, is an image that I first saw back in 2014. It's a picture of Orthodox priests in the Ukraine, and they're standing in between lines of police and protesters. Now, I don't really know a ton about this conflict. Um, I don't really know what happened to these priests. But what I do know is that to them, peace was so important that they were literally willing to place their bodies in the line of fire. They were willing to throw themselves into the gears of violence to jam and disrupt it without taking part in it. So where might we be like that? How might we not allow ourselves to be cogs in a machine that polarizes, that runs on violence, that uh, dehumanizes us along the way? How can we be a wrench instead, disrupting the usual patterns and showing that things don't have to be like this? It might seem hard to imagine, but I believe that this is the Jesus way. And you know, maybe this kind of imagination is so foreign that really it can only be called divine. And perhaps letting the Spirit lead us to do the things that our warring world finds unimaginable is why peacemakers are called children of God. They act so differently than the world, refusing to play by its rules, that they look so much like their Lord that there's nothing else that they can be called. 
I want to be careful to make sure that this doesn't stay too abstract, though. We revere these kinds of grand sacrifices, and they can be inspiring, but sometimes the call to bring shalom doesn't feel like a grand sacrifice. Sometimes it's more like an annoying inconvenience, or even that most un-American of things, purposely disadvantaging ourselves for the good of others. Making peace often comes at a cost to us. And sometimes that cost is great, but sometimes it's small. And sometimes it's small enough that we might miss the opportunity to bring shalom into the life of a neighbor. So I want to go back to the story of Carmen that I was telling earlier. Um, the O'Donnells can attest to the fact that Carmen used to call us a lot. Like I said, at points, it was almost daily. And especially at first, these calls could be long, and they often consisted mostly of Carmen just lamenting different things that were going wrong in her life. And I want to acknowledge that she had a lot stacked against her, and a lot to justifiably complain about. But to be honest, sometimes I would look at my phone and see that she was calling, and um, I'm not proud of this, but sometimes I would just decide that I didn't have time to pick up that day. Uh, but I do think that eventually those calls ended up being places of shalom for her. She was able to bring her true self to people who would listen and care and pray and sometimes lend a hand when there was a way to do so. And after a while, I started to notice that those calls began to change. She would still call if she needed something or if she wanted to vent about something, but she would also tell me about the joy that she had when her little nephews would visit or how grateful she was that the weather was nice that day. And even when she was telling me about something that seemed insurmountable, like a bill that she didn't know how she was going to pay or another round of cancer treatment that was really hitting her hard, she would always end with something along the lines of, but I know that God has a blessing for me. I know that God will take care of me. Now, I don't want to overstate what we did by talking to her on the phone. I don't think that having a few people to talk to radically changed her life, but I do believe that God was at work in her life. And I do believe that we got to be a small part of his work of bringing hope and of bringing healing. So Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a seed. And in James, it says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So I want to ask us, where are we sowing seeds of peace? And whether those seeds are listening to someone's struggles on the phone or taking a meal to a neighbor or trying to facilitate real conversation with people who are on opposite ends of the political spectrum or making space for a neighborhood to gather around waffles and ice cream or praying for people who, uh, who talk to, uh, praying for people whose names you have on, on rocks in your kitchen or in your car or helping to provide uh, supplies for refugees or even uh, something is as extreme as standing in the middle of two crowds with guns pointed at each other, where are we sowing seeds of peace? So we've called this series Lentecost. And I want to remind us again uh, that this is an opportunity for us to be led by the Spirit. In Romans 8, Paul says that the Spirit groans along with us as we mourn. And he also says in that chapter that those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. And so I pray that we would mourn with and be comforted by the Spirit, and that we would let the Spirit lead us into the things that make for peace. So, as I close, I want to draw our attention back to Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This is good news. In the kingdom, the king draws near to us not only when we're victorious, or when we're happy, or when we have it all together, but also, and maybe especially, when we feel like we've lost it all. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
And in this kingdom, we get to be partners with God in making peace. And when we do it in the way of Jesus, in this puzzling, self-sacrificial, seed-sowing way of Jesus, that's when those who are watching will say, ah, those must be the children of God. Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.